All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day to be alive, courtesy of your grace. We thank you for your grace and mercy, which is beyond words and beyond our comprehension. We thank you for saving us through your son's sacrifice once for all. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your children, whom you love so much, out of your merciful heart. We ask that you show us what you want to show us today. Open our hearts and minds and help us be led by your spirit. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man, to once for all remove our sins from us so that whoever believes in him will never perish but has eternal life. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. By the way, welcome back, Diane. Good to see you. Very good to see you. And also welcome uh, visitors. Hindering God's love means hindering your sanctification. An interesting thing that God put on my heart over the last month or so, and we'll see what he has to say. God is trying to set us free by the truth of his word. As the Lord Jesus said in John 8, 32, if you continue in my word, the truth will make you free. But to be set free, we actually have to live in his word. And this has been a recurring theme over the past few months. To be set free, we actually have to live in his word. As Romans 1.17 tells us, the righteous man shall live by faith. This includes living in God's love, which is the greatest virtue a believer can live in by faith. The Bible's pretty clear about that, love being the greatest virtue. And yet we get in the way. We, we stop it at times. We hinder it at times. As usual, the Holy Spirit dovetails our lessons so graciously. And he even did this with this past Thursday's uh, lesson. Well, he brought up some principles on love. I'm sure in anticipation of this short series. We saw on Thursday how love is unique between two parties. Think about how your love for others is different from and towards each person that you know. Not better, don't compare, but just different with each person in your life. It just is, right? When you think about different people in your lives, that you love, you love them a different way, and you love that person a different way. You have a different type of relationship with each person in your life, and that's perfectly fine. And it's unique to each person. And as so, um, each believer's love is unique to God and personal to God. We all love God in a unique way, a slightly different way, because we're all built differently and we have different souls. In our personal relationship with the Lord, we each love God in a certain way that fits our unique personality that he gave us. We're each one of a kind, and God made it this way. How much has that been coming up? How try not to be someone else, just be yourself. God made you unique. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. Every soul is unique and different and special to him in a Unique way. Not better. Unique. Different. And that's wonderful in God's eyes. So we're each one of a kind, and God himself made it that way. And because we're each unique, God is loved in an innumerable, innumerable variety of ways by each believer. Innumerable. Literally, I believe without number. Who knows how many believers there will be in heaven one day? Billions? 
So think of the kaleidoscope of love that will fill heaven one day perfectly. Think about billions of different types of love, for lack of a better way to put it, being projected to God and to Christ. All one great symphony coming together in one perfect thing. So that's what we saw on, on Thursday. Love is unique between two parties, and that's perfectly beautiful, and nothing wrong with that. And each believer's love is unique to God as well. We also saw how faith without love means nothing. Everyone has faith in something. But unless love binds that faith to serving others, it is worthless in God's eyes. Just read 1 Corinthians 13. You could have the faith to move mountains. It means nothing if you don't have love. That's how important it is to God. So everyone has faith in something, but unless love binds that faith to serving others, it is worthless. From God's perspective, if love is not involved, something is wrong in your spiritual life. After all, love is the very reason He came, right? The very reason, the motivation that brought, brought God to earth to take flesh and then to submit to the cross. The very reason was love. Love is the reason he forgave our sins. If love isn't at the center of what you believe and do as a Christian, then you must go to God and check yourselves. You must go to God and get on your knees and check yourself and ask him to show you what's wrong in your own soul. Because love must be present for faith to be legitimate or um, worthwhile in 1 Corinthians 13. And the Spirit also reminded us on Thursday, why does faith move? The very reason that faith moves in our lives is because of love. And Paul was a doer because love was his motivation. Paul wasn't a doer to try to earn points with God, to impress people. He was a doer because he loved the people of God, because God loved him so much, despite his horrible sins against God. So Paul was a doer because of love. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14. 2 Corinthians 5.14 We saw this verse uh, last Tuesday. And it has everything to do with the proper motivation in the spiritual life. And this illustrates Paul's motivation. 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15 For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Notice again, the love of Christ controls us. In the NIV it says that Christ's love compels us. We're talking about motivation the greatest motivation in the spiritual life. So on Thursday, we also saw Paul's love expressed in a forgiving attitude towards the Corinthians, who were always giving him fits, all right? always challenging his, his authority. And Paul showed his heart. Forgiveness, as we're going to see, reveals love. Paul, because he was humble got out of the way, and he rarely hindered God's love from flowing through him, at least from what we see in the Scriptures. He rarely got in the way of that. You know why? Because he was humble and humbled, because of how much God forgave him of. And as we're going to see, that's our problem. We forget how much God forgave us of, and so we're not as humble as we should be. 
I mean, do you need to go back to your teenage years and write down all your sins? Maybe you do. Maybe it's a healthy thing, even though we shouldn't look back and look forward, right, instead. But do you need to stop and remember all that God's forgiven you of? Do you need to start writing a list and realize you can't fit it all in one notepad? And then consider the sins that you're going to commit over the next decade, and they're already forgiven? So that was what was in Paul's heart. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Here we see Paul's love expressed in his forgiving attitude. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. So Paul accepted this, what was going on with the Corinthians. If I love you more, are you going to love me less? I'm trying to tell you the truth, but you keep kicking against it. I'm going to keep loving you anyway. So be that as it may, I'm not even going to burden you, even though I have the right to burden you with certain things. His attitude was like Christ, as Pastor mentioned on Thursday. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What motivates that heart? Only one thing. As we've heard from the Spirit for years now, we need to get out of the way. We must not restrict the flow of God's love in our lives. Otherwise, we're squeezing His grace and power out of our lives by the very free will that the Lord Himself gave us, ironically. God is the one who sanctifies. We've been learning this for months now. God is the one who sanctifies, and He will sanctify us. Our only part is free will choosing to live in the new nature he's given us instead of the flesh. The more we do this, the more we allow his love to flow through us, unhindered and uninterrupted. But when we hold on to our own methods of dealing with things in life, dealing with people, certain ways we deal with people, certain attitudes we get, when someone challenges us or harms us in some way, we get in the way. When we use our own methods to deal with people because it's what we know and what we're comfortable with, we get in the way of God's love flowing freely. And that's just wrong. It's not how it's designed to be for us as free Christians. It's not submission. It's resistance to God's authority. Resistance to the very God of love who saved you. Think about that. And that's what Paul thought about. So, on the board, let's be honest. Okay? Let's be honest. Let's put all the cards on the table, at least in your own soul. And since God already knows it, (laughs) stop holding back. In what ways... Are you using your own methods in dealing with others? Maybe something instilled in you since childhood. And in the process, you're hindering God's love from flowing freely. We all do it, so just admit it. Stop and think about this question on the board. In what ways are you using your own methods in dealing with others? Maybe something instilled in childhood that you won't drop. And in the process, you're hindering God's love from flowing freely in your life. You could call them hang-ups, if you want. Hang-ups in the soul that we've always fallen back on under pressure. You know, when someone aggravates you in this particular way, or when someone hurts you, there's a certain defense mechanism you go to. So just think about it. Be honest. Don't even condemn yourself. 
what ways do you fall back on? And this is so subtle that you don't even know you're doing these things unless you sit back and examine yourself. So maybe you need to confess it, whatever it is. Maybe you need to repent of that attitude you get in the way you deal with people. You need to agree with God that it's out of line. And then you can move on in the new ways of the new creature. So may we never forget, love is grace in action. Love is grace in action. Isn't that how God expresses his love toward us? By treating us in grace when we don't deserve it? Treating us in kindness when we don't deserve it? That's how love shows itself, if you will, by grace. And God's grace is the expression of his limitless love. So what's our part in this? To let it flow through us freely, both by receiving it from him and passing it on to others. And it should all be one fluid motion. DJ, can I ask you to shut that AC off? Thanks, I appreciate it. It's distracting others too. So, again, what's our part in this thing? To let or to allow God's love to flow through us freely, both by receiving it from Him and passing it on to others. And it should all be one fluid motion. I hope that gives you a visual. So, you're receiving God's love, and, and you have no problem with that, right? Please be merciful, right? Even though I'm a sinner, I keep failing you. You have no problem receiving his love. But do you let it go right out the back door to other people? It should be one fluid motion that doesn't stop with you. Oh, arrogant one, right? It should be like a river, a free-flowing river. Ideally, that's God's plan for us to live in as his children. I picture myself standing in a river. A low river, mind you. (laughs) I won't be able to stay there if it's too high. And as freely as God's love flows towards me and runs into me, is as freely it should go through me and by me and pass me to those behind me. I mean, I can't think of, and that's my own, it's not a perfect analogy, but that's my own visual of how God's love should be flowing in our lives. Right at us, you know, that's that power, that uh, passion, if you will. But it should be received and allowed to go right through you to others. Or in arrogance, if you want, you can hold up a wooden plank against the river and hinder God's love from flowing freely through you. Now, obviously, you know, you're saying right now, I wouldn't do that. Why would I hold up a plank against God's love? Well, we all do it. We, we don't want to do it in our new nature, but we all do it at times in our flesh for a variety of selfish reasons, which we won't get into. Letting his love flow is easier with people we like. Is that a fair statement? You're like, oh, I let his love flow. I always pass it on to others because I like him and him and her and her. So I love them. I love them. I show them my love all the time. I give to them. How about those you don't like too much? Just even, just even personality differences. Do you let your love flow freely to them? How about your enemies? Hmm. So don't hold up the wooden plank in arrogance, trying to hinder God's love from flowing through you. As we're going to see coming up, this is to your own detriment. This is to your own harm. And as DJ mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is so faithful, in Romans 15, I think it was, right? Or 12, where it comes to your own condemnation when you disobey authority. And we're going to see something very similar coming up in our main passage. But back to God's love. What are the two greatest commands in the Bible that satisfy the entire law of God? 
which is really amazing when you think about it because the law had a lot of stuff in it. Jesus said there are two commands that satisfy the entire law. You'll fulfill the entire law if you do these two. None of us can do them perfectly, but that's the truth of the matter. Go to Matthew 22, verse 34. The two great commands in the Bible, according to Jesus, are to love God and to love others. Love God and love others. And as Christians, that's the high calling we're called to. You've been changed. You have a new nature. Get out of the way. Choose to live in the new nature. Drop your baggage. And it's so simple and pure, these commands. And having faith in God's love is the way that we're sanctified. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So only when we get in the way, when we get selfish with God's grace, for example, it's for me and my benefit, and you love reaping the benefits of his grace and mercy, but you kind of hoard them, as pastors put it in the past. You hold them to yourself as though you now possess them. Only when we get in the way, when we get selfish with God's grace, do we slow down the powerful flow of God's love through us. It's supposed to flow through us, not stop in us. And we slow down our own experience of sanctification to our own detriment. We, we miss out, we lose out, because we get selfish with God's love. Our Father in heaven knows the power of his love and how it can change us and others. And, of course, he wants the best for all of us. So regarding the power of God's love, it's love that changes people. We must never forget that. You can have all the faith in the world. You can quote all the scripture you want in the world to somebody. But if they're in pain and you don't show them love, there's no effect. You show them love without quoting scripture, but you show them the love of Christ, you can change their whole outlook on life. And they realize something's different about Christ. So it's love that changes people. And it's lack of love that makes ourselves and others suffer needlessly. Let me say that again. It's love that changes people. And it's lack of love that makes ourselves and others suffer needlessly. I mean, just think of the teenager that does it to himself. Has to learn the hard way, right? May we not be teenage believers. Sophomores. Lack of love makes ourselves and others suffer needlessly. If you just get out of the way and have the faith of a child... And stop being so petty with people. And allow God's love to flow through you freely. Life would be much easier and much more enjoyable. This truth permeates all areas of our life. It's like yeast in the dough. Or it isn't. It's your choice. Notice in the second commandment, that Jesus quoted, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Why didn't the Lord say, just love your neighbors? Could have stopped there. Adding in as yourself changes everything. Think about it. How much do you love yourself? Some of you might say, well, not too much at times. 
And, you know, I can relate. But be honest with yourself. How much do you love yourself? That is evidenced by, by how much you do for yourself. How much you care for yourself. For example, how much do you care about your own comforts? Your pleasure, your happiness on a day-to-day basis? Doesn't your life include caring for yourself, making your life easier when possible, giving yourself the best things like good food and clothing if possible, relieving yourself from pain, whatever kind of pain it is, if possible? Doesn't, isn't that what you do for yourself because you love yourself and you care about yourself? Hmm. You don't try to make life more difficult on yourself. That's one thing for sure. I mean, at least not on purpose. (laughs) But we do things that ease our life experiences and give us joy when possible. So if that's how you treat yourself, that's exactly how we should treat our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's letting God's love flow freely through you. All the things he does, all the forgiveness he gives, all the grace he puts in your life, despite things that deserve judgment or punishment. And we have the opportunity to love our neighbor as ourselves and to give that same type of free love, free grace, no strings attached mercy to other people. That's God's love. It's totally unselfish, is what it is. So if self gets in the way, you're hindering God's love. God's love looks at others as just as valuable and important as self, if not more, as we read in Philippians 2. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. Here's a great picture. And it's almost like a one-up, if you think about it. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. But here we're told to regard others as more important than ourselves. Look at Philippians 2.1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. Not a lesser love. The same love you receive from God, let it flow through you to others. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to be set free? You want to stop living in bondage to yourself and your own whims and pettiness? Live like that. You live like that, you will have great freedom in your life. But you know what it takes in verse 3? Humility of mind. You have to realize what Paul realized, how much he was forgiven. And therefore, he couldn't hold back God's love from anybody else. And that's what motivated him to be a doer and actually live by faith. You're not as important as you think you are. In Philippians 2, 1 through 5, if you honestly realize and admit that you are nothing without Christ... And I mean nothing. 
zero. John 15, 5. If you honestly are willing to go there and admit you're nothing without Christ, then you're ready to move forward and enjoy this freedom, which comes from regarding others as a higher priority than yourself. But you can't do that unless you humble yourself. It's impossible. Your arrogance gets in the way, at least to some degree, probably till the day we die. But wouldn't it be nice to have a lesser roadblock to freedom for yourself and others? Until you humble yourself, you will continue to suffer in your soul. That's just God's law of reaping and sowing. There may be some divine discipline thrown in there. But until we humble ourselves, we will continue to suffer in our own soul. We'll be under condemnation, in a way. And we'll see that coming up. One more time on the board. If you honestly realize and admit you're nothing without Christ, and I mean nothing, then you're ready to move forward and enjoy this freedom spoken of in Philippians 2, which comes from regarding others as a higher priority than yourself. But until you humble yourself, you will continue to suffer in your soul. Just as powerfully as you want God's love to flow to you because you love yourself, that's how powerfully God wants you to let it flow to others around you just as powerfully, not one iota less. He wants you to totally get out of the way and be free. So stop stopping it. Stop slowing it down because you're in a mood or you're bitter or resentful because someone legitimately hurt you. As a Christian who's hurt God over and over, we have no right to be bitter or resentful towards someone that hurts us. We have no right he's, because he's totally forgiven us. So let it go. Let it go. Let it flow freely to others in your life because of all you've received in grace and mercy. You don't deserve it either. So who are you to hold it back from someone else that doesn't deserve it? Here's something to think about regarding how we hold back God's love. And we have, we have a lot of challenging questions this morning. Why do we hold back saying good words to other people? Just think about it. Why do you hold back saying good words to other people in your life? Like, like seriously, diagnose it. Be a doctor, okay, for a minute, spiritual doctor. Why do I do that? Be objective. Why do I hold back saying good words to people that I kind of want to say it's on the tip of my tongue, but for some reason I don't want to say it? Who knows? Why do we have a tendency to hold back expressions of love, even hugs and kisses, even with our own loved ones? Why do we do it? And if you think I'm getting all lovey-dovey, don't forget that Paul said more than once, greet one another with a holy kiss. You see there's a certain attitude of love that should be permeating our minds and our souls. And we hold it back, even if it is there, we hold it back for selfish reasons in some way. Arrogant reasons. We don't want to look a certain way. We don't want to give a certain impression. Blah. Right? Throw it out and just live. Live in that love. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Why does Paul say that? Because we're bound together as brothers in Christ. We're bound together by the love of the Lord that saved us. And so we have this unique opportunity to share the same ridiculous supernatural love that we've received freely. It's a rare opportunity. Only in this life you get one chance. 
So seriously ask yourself, why do you do that? Why do you hold back expressions of love? Is that the flesh of the spirit holding back? Uncomfortable with expressing love? Especially you men, us men. Why do we hold back? Uncomfortable with expressing love. We hold back saying hi to our neighbors, don't we? I mean, be honest. You see a neighbor over there, you're like, I hope he doesn't see me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I do it. We all do it. Maybe you're in a mood. Maybe you're thinking about something. But he's like 20 feet away behind one bush, and you've got to avoid him. God forbid you're friendly. God forbid you show him, <laughs> you reach out to him with the love of Christ in at least a um, casual way. Right? Why don't we go up to that same neighbor and just be like, hey, how you doing? Is everything okay? I mean, that is foreign in this world today, at least in the Northeast. Monica and I were talking yesterday about the Northeast versus the rest of the country uh, and how unfriendly people are in the Northeast. And you know what? Let's use it to our benefit as Christians. Let's use it to our benefit as believers. It's a stark contrast between the love of Christ and the caring of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you care enough about yourself to ask yourself, how you doing? Can I do anything to help you? Why don't you say that to your neighbor? <laughs> Seriously. Why don't you do that? Why do you hold back? And it's an opportunity to show them the love of Christ, that you actually maybe care, when their own kids might not even care about them in these days. So, just think about it. Be objective. Why do we do that? As believers in Christ, why do we do that? We're talking about allowing love to flow freely. God's love is a passionate river. And we ought to stand in its path with open arms to receive it and let it flow through us to others. No hindering, no interruptions. If you parents think that you love your children, that's nothing compared to God's love for you. Nothing. Your love as a parent is a trickling little brook out in the woods here where God's love is a passionate, powerful river. Not even close. Think of the Lord's passion on the cross. Think of the love that drove him to the cross on purpose. So God's love is a passionate river, and we're to stand in its path with open arms to receive it and let it flow through us to others. We're going to look at two main passages in this study, and we're only going to get to the first one here briefly, to illustrate God's love and its potential godly flow through us. And as we'll see, that all depends upon our humility and submission to God's ways and our willingness to get out of the way. Remember that phrase, willingly humble? That came up in one translation? Our willingness to get out of the way. For example, who are we to not forgive our brother who has sinned against us? What right do we have to not forgive our brother? when God's forgiven us everything. If we choose not to forgive from the heart, we're being arrogant, period. Despite how much we've been hurt, we are being arrogant if we choose not to forgive from the heart. If we do choose to forgive, despite our personal pain, then we are being humble. We're obeying his commands. We're obeying the authority. We're saying, you said this, Lord, and you're Lord. So, okay, I'm going to pass this on freely. I mean, think of the reality of the situation, folks. The fear of God that we should be maintaining as believers. Who do we think we are? Why do we lose that perspective that we're dealing with the Lord, God Almighty? And he as the ultimate authority tells us to do certain things, including to forgive our brother from the heart. 
So if we do choose to forgive despite our personal pain, then we are being humble, obeying his commands, operating in his love. Another example, who are we to choose not to love our enemies? What right do we have to say no to God's ways of love? Since God loves us with the same type of love. The Bible says we were his enemies. We were his enemies before we accepted Christ. Here's the thing. God is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. He's fully forgiven you for every sin. Do you want the benefits of his love, but then you want to hold back those same benefits from others in your life? If so, the Bible says be on guard because you will suffer. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. With that in mind, let's go to this main passage I at least want to touch on today. First of all, before we get there on the board, regarding hindering sanctification. If we choose not to love our enemies, we hurt ourselves, stunting our own sanctification and stopping the flow of God's love to those who really need it, i.e. those who are sick, those who are lost without Christ. They're the ones that really need it, and those are the ones you want to stop the love flow to because they hurt you. Right? Same people. The ones Christ came from, for, you know? If we choose not to love our enemies, we hurt ourselves, stunting our own sanctification and stopping the flow of God's love to those who really need it, those who are sick, those who are lost without Christ. If there's anyone who needs God's love, or is there anyone, I'm sorry, who needs God's love more than our enemies? The very people that attack God often. Remember, Jesus came to lead sinners to repentance. So in this study, again, we're going to look at two main passages that illustrate God's love and its potential godly flow in us. But again, that all depends on our humility and submission to God's authority. Go to Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. So this flow of God's love is a potential. And the only reason it's a potential is because we have the free will to get in the way if we choose to. Look at Matthew 18. Here's one way we get in the way. Verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. By the way, that's a very ridiculous statement, if you know how much 10,000 talents are. We'll get to that. But the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, and said, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave the debt. Period. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground 
and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is a picture comparing how much we've been forgiven by God, an unpayable debt, and how small a debt God is asking us to forgive our brother. To put this in perspective, the total revenue for the town of Galilee was 300 talents. And this man owed 10,000. So in today's language, we might say the master forgave the slave a debt of a trillion dollars. And this forgiven slave sent his fellow slave to jail over a few hundred dollars. That's how disgusting it is to God when we refuse forgiveness to our brother who did hurt us. He did. But how much more did God forgive us of already? It is not measurable, but we forget. We conveniently forget because we're arrogant. But if we're humble like Paul, we'll get the heck out of the way because we do an accounting. Maybe it's that list of sins you go back to when you were a child and you keep writing your list. I don't know, but you take an accounting of the reality of what you've been forgiven, and that humbles you enough where his love is allowed to flow through you Will you get out of the way. So may we never lose sight of the mercy of God like this slave did. Even if you've honestly been hurt by others, even in a big way, it pales in comparison to the innumerable sins you've committed against your perfect Heavenly Father. And He has forgiven you all of them through Christ. So there are a lot of things we can note in this passage. Starting with the fact that forgiveness is a great illustration of God's love. Just like mercy is a great illustration of God's love. And when we hold it back from others, we damage our own soul. And we hinder his flow of mercy to other people that really actually need it. And we're going to see, too, uh, we, what we see here, we are also going to see in our other main passage later this week, that we're held accountable to God the Father. Like, we're not, like, let off the hook because of grace. We're held accountable to God the Father. Jesus makes a shocking statement, kind of like the shocking statement that Todd read to us earlier. talking about being accountable to the Father. This is so serious to God, the Father, that Jesus says, whoever does not forgive his brother from the heart will be disciplined so severely by the Father that it's like being handed over to the torturers. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this, right? I'm not getting legalistic on you. Jesus said this, and he made it very clear at the end of the parable. Here's what it says. You don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Matthew 18, 34 and 35. Now this might be some type of a torture in the soul. The one who refuses to forgive will suffer in his own soul. His conscience bearing witness against him by the Holy Spirit. 
don't know about you, but God's shown me the pain involved in resisting my conscience more and more because we become more and more accountable the more we know, right? And the more we've been learning about this in the Word, the more and more it's going to hit home in your soul. And there's nothing really like when your conscience is really, really being bothered, where you can't sleep at night. And it's happened to me a couple times in this past year. And I'm like, all right, I'll tell the truth. (laughs) All right, I give up, whatever the situation. Uh, All right, I'll go to this person. And you know what? That's the grace of God. But you know what? It's torturing the soul. It's painful. And we do it to ourselves. So discipline from God is something we should expect from our Heavenly Father when we disobey His ways. Again, think about authority. When you willingly disobey a principle from your supreme authority that you know to be true, there's going to be repercussions. There has to be repercussions or God doesn't love you. So out of love, God disciplines us even harshly like this. He's trying to wake us up and get us back on the right path which is living in his love. Look again at verse 34 and 35 as we close. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So this is another reminder that God looks at the heart in all of his dealings with mankind. We can't fake him out. You can't say the words, I forgive you, and harbor bitterness in the back of your soul that God doesn't know about. We can't pretend with God in the slightest way. So you can't pretend to forgive your brother. So go to your father. Trouble with forgiveness, trouble hindering God's love, go to your Father. This is why we have to go straight to Him when we lack the proper attitude on any issue. We must go ask Him for more faith because that is the issue when we resist His instructions. For example, when we don't forgive someone. We must get on our knees and ask Him for help right then, for supernatural help for giving our brother from the heart. I hope you see the sense of urgency here. This is not something that can wait, especially something like this. Lack of forgiveness. If you wait, as we've all experienced, you're going to let it fester in your soul. You're going to stop the flow of God's love in your life, and maybe to never return in your life again experientially. Maybe even to the point of the sin unto death, where God takes you home early. Because, you know, you just are too resistant. You're too arrogant. You keep holding up that wooden plank, trying to hinder his love. He's been patiently waiting for you to return to him. So if you have have trouble with this, now is the time to go to your father about this. It's the only way out. It's the only way to that solution and that power that you need to get over this thing. Go to your father. There are going to be times you get hurt, even by your own brothers in Christ. We're not even talking about your enemies yet. Your family members will give in to their flesh at times and hurt you at times. And that's when we will be challenged to allow God's love to flow through us or to bottle it up in resentment. And I want you to know this morning, the Spirit wants you to know this morning, if you choose to bottle it up, you will be severely disciplined by your Heavenly Father. So says the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how serious of a matter God takes this as. After all, think about it. We're stopping the flow of His love. We're getting in the way of His love. 
that he offers freely? How can we be possessive about his love after he's freely poured it out on us in mercy? May it never be. May we examine ourselves and humble ourselves, get on our knees to the Father, and realize we don't have the right to even consider this. We don't have the right. As freely as he's poured out mercy upon us is as freely as he wants us to pour it out on others. So this is a good place to get into our communion service. Uh, Ushers, please pass out the elements. So now's the time to reflect on what we've just been taught and the need to forgive your brother from your heart. The Lord, in his person, poured out his mercy on us in the form of blood. His passion for us led him to willingly pour out his blood as a payment for the sins of the whole world even his enemies. Now is the time to think about and thank God for all that he's forgiven you of and for all that he was judged for on your behalf. May the witness of his love at the cross remind us daily that we are nothing without him. Yet at the same time, we are everything to him. 1 Corinthians 11.23 in the Amplified. For I received from the Lord himself that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was treacherously delivered, upon, delivered up, and while his betrayal was in progress, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to call me affectionately to remembrance. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread.
Similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, to call me affectionately to remembrance. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. That in mind, let's drink the cup. I'll show you a video, and then we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us and given us through your precious Son. We thank you for your unending mercies 
and your complete forgiveness of our sins through Christ. If anyone is listening right now who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that you need Him. You are a sinner, and you will face God one day. And you haven't accepted His offer of total forgiveness until you've accepted Christ. Until then, you remain under judgment. But God loved you so much, He gave up His perfect, uniquely born Son, so that whoever believes in Him will never perish, but has eternal life. Right now, you can tell God that you repent of your sinfulness, and you're trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, from your heart. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Father, we rejoice in anyone who has just turned to Christ in humility. We welcome them to your adopted family and pray they move forward in your word of truth. Please bless us all as we go today by your grace. Help us bring the truths we've learned out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.